scripture reading is from the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 14, Joshua 14, I'm going to start at verse 6, this is after 40 years in the wilderness, and now for about the last five years they've been taking over the land that was promised to them, and this is coming to that moment when things are, the land is being divvied up, and you'll notice one of the star performers, if you will, in these verses is Caleb whom we met last week. Try to remember the, how we, what we read last week from Numbers 13 and 14. It will help you to, to realize the amazing aspect here. And so Joshua chapter 14, starting at verse 6. When the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said to him, You know what Yahweh said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of Yahweh, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought you word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers, the other ten spies, who went up with me, made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed Yahweh my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed Yahweh my God. And now behold, Yahweh has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that Yahweh spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war, for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which Yahweh spoke on that day, for you heard on that day how the Anachim were there who with great fortified cities. It may be that Yahweh will be with me and I shall drive them out just as Yahweh said. Then Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. And now we turn to Colossians chapter 2, Colossians 2, excuse me, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4, it's page 984 in the Blue Bible. We're just picking up right where we've left off, because we've been doing this series, getting on with the gospel. So we finished chapter 2 last week, we're now at chapter 3, 1 through 4. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What I read to you from the Old Testament and the New Testament is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O God, whose never-failing providence orders all things in both heaven and on earth. We beseech you to put away from us all things that may hurt us. And give us, give us those things that are truly profitable for us in Jesus Christ. Give us ears and hearts to receive what is profitable in Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. So the sermon notes are in the back of the worship guide. Please do have your Bibles open, your Bible apps, whatever, to Colossians 3, so you can see what I'm talking about. 
So what we read back in Joshua, Caleb's story is going to be in the background, my main illustration. I think it fits beautifully. 45 years earlier, Caleb was just on the cusp of finally entering the land of promise. He had spied it out with 11 others, saw its bounty, saw its potential, and he saw how God's fidelity and steadfast love was coming through. He and Joshua both had raised sights and outlooks. They trusted in the Lord, they were confident in Him, and it meant something. But even though the other ten acknowledged the bounty of the land, yet they persuaded God's people that it was a dark and impossible situation because their minds were set on their earthly condition. It's impossible for us to take this land. There are giants in the land. We're grasshoppers in our sight. They'll devour us. They'd already defeated themselves. And they saw everything, even every good thing, through the lens of defeatedness and impossibility. So the ten, their minds were on earthly things. Caleb and Joshua had raised sights. Caleb did not lose his grip on God's fidelity and steadfast love. His sights remained raised for the remainder of his life. And it impacted his outcomes. Now I know some of you close to 85 sound like Caleb. I'm just as fit as I was then, but we all know better and you know it better too. But to have Caleb say that, and then to turn around the rest of the story, he actually does do it because the Lord is with him, is amazing. His sights were raised in the trusting in God's steadfast love and faithfulness. And so keep Caleb's legacy in mind as we look into these verses here in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Now, as I've been pointing out all along, Chapter 2, verse 1 through chapter 3, verse 4 has been emphasizing, Paul has been emphasizing that the gospel gift, Jesus as he is freely offered to the gospel, that the gospel gift brings us gospel liberty, and that is the antidote to the deluding troublemakers and the antidote to the elemental spirits of the world. And that gospel liberty includes chapter 3, verse 1, raised sights. Raised sights, chapter 3, verse 1. Now Paul's focus, in the face of his deep concerns, his focus has been voiced in fairly clear and concise detail. He's begun with Jesus, freely offered in the gospel, back, clear back chapter three verses, or chapter 1, verses 12 through verse 23. In fact, he will tell you the summary of what he's up to in chapter 1, verse 21. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And Paul went on in the first part of chapter 2, he went on to hammer out for the Colossian believers and for us how much we have in Christ. Just go back and review the first 15 verses of chapter 2. Why did he do that? To bring us to celebrate our Lord, but also to discern how faulty and how flimsy those alternative Jesuses are, verses 16 through 23, that are being offered to us in the marketplace of ideas. And so here in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, he is lifting our perceptions and our hearts upward. 
bringing us out of the dark pit of the elemental spirits of the world, the domain of darkness, to come to see how the gospel gift really does bring us gospel liberty. So he begins by drawing us upward. Grafted into Christ, we are then raised with Christ, which impacts our outlook. Here's verse 1. If you then, if you is not a conditional clause of this is not, this might not work. It's one of those conditional clauses that means since. Since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now Paul's already told us these sayings, clear back in chapter 2 and verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Paul's point is that because we have been raised out of the dark pit with Christ, we can and we ought to seek higher things. That's the key verb in verse 1. Seek. Seek. Right? That's the key verb in verse 1. Seek those sayings which are above. Now, let's be honest. It's a foggy Sunday morning and we're all still foggy in our heads from losing an hour of sleep. But let's be honest. Seeking the things above where Christ is at the Father's right hand is not our strong suit. It's not our strong suit. In fact, we're very often not too far away from the ten spies who saw everything, even God's bounty, through the lens of defeatedness. The reason I know it's not our strong suit is because Paul commands it. He commands, seek. Why do you command? Why do you tell your kids, clean your room? It's not because they do of their own free wills all the time happily, right? It's because they didn't do it and they fail at doing it. Mom, you tell me that all the time. Well, if you'd start doing it, I wouldn't tell you. Why does Paul say, you, you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Because it's a weakness. We're not good seekers of things above. We're just not. Let's just be honest. Solomon reminds us that, as you've already heard, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 27, whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Or again, in Proverbs 18, verse 1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. We often find what we're looking for. And most of the time, what we're looking for is evil in our politicians. Badness and ethical failure in our CEOs. Moral compromise in our fellow Christians. And so, guess what? If you seek for it, guess what? You'll find it. We often find what we're looking for. And since most of our time we're swallowed up in our circumstances believing the lie that our moment, our situation, this pain, that problem is the be-all, the end-all. Well, lo and behold, we find what we're looking for 
We start sounding like the ten spies coming out of the land of Canaan. We're grasshoppers in our own sight. This whole place is going to kill us and eat us alive. But notice that Paul, being loyal to Jesus, tells us with Jesus to seek the higher things. Our Lord said in Matthew 6, as he's describing life in a, in a world of poverty where you scratch out a living day by day and people are obsessed with eating and clothing and all that. I got it. But then what does he say? Seek first. What? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And these things will be added to you. Lift your heights sights higher. You have reasons to lift them higher. And that's what Paul is doing. He's just echoing Jesus' words in Matthew 6, verse 33. Since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And notice in that statement, he's giving us gospel certainty. If then or since you have been raised with Christ. Oh, gospel certainty. Because you've been raised with Christ. You can seek these things and you will find it. And so with raised sights, then goes raised minds. And it's starting in verse 2. Now notice that because of the gospel certainty of verse 1, Paul now motivates us in verse 2. Set your minds on the things above that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. Now those two verses, verse 1 and verse 2, they go together supporting one another. They go together to build durable believers. To seek, verse 1, and to set your mind on are like two load-bearing beams holding up your structure. You know, the more load-bearing beams in place in the right places will keep that house standing when the tornadoes come through kind of thing, right? So these two seek, that which is above, set your minds there, are like two load-bearing beams holding up the structure. Unfortunately, most of our time, our minds are set on other things. Our circumstances, our grief, our pain, our failure, our trouble, our self-made remedies, our taxes, our bills, our jobs. And there's nothing wrong with thinking about those things, but our minds are often set on those things. And so our outcomes and our life directions are marching along in tight formation where those are leading us to the things that are on earth. Now look, I recognize there's a load of social and religious pressure out there to get our heads out of the clouds. I mean, even Johnny Cash, and I love Johnny Cash, sang that song years ago about those sisters who were so heavenly minded, they just weren't no earthly good. You remember the song? Please, some, some affirmation, please. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I sang one to you the other day, and like, I got like zero people recognizing. I know he sang that song about those sisters. But I would say that those sisters weren't heavenly minded. That's why they weren't any earthly good. Let me come at it from a different direction. Some of you, poor, you pour quite a bit of your time into Restore OKC, downtown ministry, helping those who are financially strapped, who are impoverished, who are stuck in bleak situations. Others of you 
Go out and you collect retail, the food, to take to Project 66, a Christian food bank that's been helping like 700 family units per month, which is somewhere in the total of 12,000 people a month just in Edmond alone. And you're helping there. Some of you volunteer at Hope Center of Edmond. Why? Is it because of the poverty? Well, yeah. Is it because of the brokenness? Well, yeah. Is it because of the grief? Well, yeah. But the drive for all of these projects and getting involved in them is right here in verse 1 and 2. It's who Jesus is and what he has done, is doing, and will do for his people. That's why we go do that. The point is it's not about do-goodism. Do-goodism. Sounds like a bad disease. Do-goodism. What is do-goodism? Do-goodism, you know, you do good because it makes you feel good. And it may not help anybody. Right? That's do-goodism. Instead, it's not about those things. It's about being so heavenly-minded that we're finally some earthly good. We finally can, we're bringing Jesus who was raised from the dead and seated at the Father's right hand, and we're bringing him in a sense, as it were, we're bringing him into this situation, into this environment. Because he's risen from the dead and he has triumphed over death and the devil, he's triumphed over the sepulcher and society. Because he is King of kings and Lord of lords, I'm doing these things. It's because of who he is. So heavenly minded, you finally can become some earthly good. Becoming so heavenly minded, we're finally some earthly good. And this heavenly mindedness gives you clear sightedness and clear mindedness so that you're not trapped in the pit that is dug out by the elemental spirits of the world. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. This heavenly mindedness gives you clear sightedness and clear mindedness so that you're not drawn back into the grip of the hawkers and the peddlers who are selling you those alternative Jesuses, those techniques and trinkets that they guarantee will make you able to control the forces of heaven and the forces of earth to work in your favor. You're no longer tempted to slide back in there with them. Seeking and setting your mind on things above where Christ is and not on the earth means you're not out there buying what's being sold in the marketplace of ideas. That you're not out there being swallowed up in the societal sense of urgency with all of its political salvations, messianic, social messianic movements, or self-help tricks of self-made, self-flourishing. You're no longer, you realize, you're no longer the center of your universe. You're no longer your own personal rock star. Instead, looking upward and looking rightward and realizing you're not the center and your political views or your affections are not the center of God's program finally gets you to take risks. You can risk loving, you can risk caring for others. And you know it's risky when you do it in fameless ways. Where there's no likes, there's no photos on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or whatever. You just do it because it's the right thing to do because Jesus died for our sins, was raised from the dead, and is seated at the Father's right hand. 
we finally take that risk of loving and caring about others in little fameless ways and sometimes bigger ways. The do-goodism that makes you feel good, that makes you feel momentarily morally superior is no longer a tempting motivation. Just like Caleb, whose sights were raised onto the fidelity and steadfast love of God and his confidence was all wrapped up there, he was ready to chance the conditions before him. Yeah, it might be giants in the land, but God is able. And so, because of Jesus, we with raised sights and raised minds find that we've been rescued for liberty. And that's verse 3, rescued for liberty. That whole verse, verse 3, is drawing in what was previously declared about us in Christ. You heard it back in chapter 2. I just quoted the verse, verse 12 to you. But here it is, verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. You've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Just as bone or skin grafts are hidden with the body that it is grafted into. I mean, you might see scars or whatever. But it becomes part of the body. It's hidden in the body. You, by grace alone, in Christ alone, received by faith alone, you have been grafted into Christ. Therefore, you have been hidden with Christ in God. You have died with Christ and been raised with Him. And so, as I said in a previous sermon, that means we are enfolded and enveloped or enveloped in Christ's death for our sins. We are enfolded and enveloped in his death, his death that actually kills our hostage-enslaved relationship to the domain of darkness, the elemental spirits of the world. We've been enfolded and enveloped in Christ's death in whom, through faith, we are raised to life. And that means something. If Christ is no longer subject to the destroying, defeating, decimated, decimating forces in this world, then you, united to Christ, you also then, with Him and in Him, are set free. Set free from the tyranny of the destroying, defeating, decimated forces. Set free from the tyranny of the urgent, set free from the tyranny and enslavement of fame-seeking, set free from the tyranny of significance-finding, set free from the tyranny of desiring to be desirable and youthful, set free from the tyranny of self-salvations and so forth. In other words, you have been rescued for liberty. Now, it doesn't mean that life will not be problem-free. It doesn't mean that we won't have bills to pay and sometimes sweat over. It doesn't mean that we will never have cancer or dementia. But it does mean you and I, we have been set free from the tyrants and the despots who seek to shame us, 
who seek to shame us into conformity and compliance. We've been set free from the tyrants and the despots that try to disgrace us into going along with the elemental spirits of the world and falling back into alienation, hostility of mind, doing evil deeds. Now, somebody here needs to hear that. Some of you got daddy issues and some of you got mama issues. We are seeking for approval, for example, because your dad didn't give it to you when you were growing up, or your mom didn't give it. I'm just using one illustration. Your mom didn't give it to you. And so you've been fighting most of your life trying to get their approval. You don't need it. You got the approval you need. You've got Jesus. And that sets you free. Will you be set free? Look to Jesus. It means that no matter what happens, your cancer, your dementia, bankruptcy, Parkinson's disease, parents disowning you or ignoring you, children shunning you or despising you, Paul says your life is hidden with Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are wrapped up in Jesus. And though you may lose your your way, he will never lose you on the way. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Rescued for liberty indeed. But also rescued to live. And that's verse 4, rescued to live. Paul's main emphasis in this letter is that what verse 4 is declaring impacts every day that we live now. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Because of this, you can live free of the programs and the promises of the rambunctious marketplace of ideas. Because of this, you can live free of the chaos and the fright of a society that feels like it is slowly destroying itself. Because of this, you can continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, chapter 1, verse 23. Because of this, you can flourish and thrive, as Paul puts it in chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding with thanksgiving. Because of what's in verse 4, the truth of it, you can live, and you can go right on living even when death finally comes and snuffs out your last breath. You have been rescued to live. And Christ, who is your life, Christ, who is your life, will never let you slip out of his nail-pierced hands. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you, then you also will, not might, not could, will, appear with him in glory. So my friends, take a moment. Take a moment to reflect. 
on the deeply enriching point of verses 1 through 4. It doesn't mean believe in Jesus and he'll take care of all your problems. You've heard me tell you the story years ago. I was in Jackson, Mississippi. I was recruiting medical professionals for the Air Force and had to go to one of the big, big uh, health insurance campuses. And right smack in the middle of, middle of this entryway of this uh, big insurance company was a flying saucer. It was actually the receptionist's desk, but from a distance, it looked like a flying saucer. It was crazy. And I walk up to the flying saucer, and I see this little head back there, and I get close, and I realize she's weeping. This receptionist was weeping. Oh, no, this is uncomfortable. But I went ahead and walking up there, and I looked down on her desk, and there's a Bible there. I don't know what to say, so I tried this ploy. Why, that's a good book. And her response? No, I didn't. Whoa. Why, why do you say that? Because it says, believe in Jesus, he'll take care of all your problems. And I got problems, and they're not being taken care of. And I had to say, sister, it doesn't say that. And then she says to me, my preacher said it said that. And I took her to James 1 to show her, you know, count on all joy, my brothers, when, you fall, when, you're, uh, when you're, your faith is being tested, growing it so that you can grow in steadfastness. Point of those things out to her. But the point is, there are somebody out there saying, believe in Jesus and he'll take care of all your problems. This passage does not say, believe in Jesus and he'll take care of all your problems. But it does tell us, believe in Jesus and you will have more than all your problems. You will have more than your time of grief. You will have more than your relapse into bulimia and anorexia. You will have more than all of your tears. You'll have more than your poverty. You'll have more than your anxiety and depression. You'll have more than your country. You'll have more than your unemployment. You'll have more than all the slander that is smeared over your reputation. You have more because your life is hidden with Christ in God and he will not lose you. You have more believe in Jesus. And you have more than all your problems. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding with thanksgiving. Getting on with the gospel. Let's pray. We thank you, our Lord and our God, that you raised us with your son, Jesus. You united us to him, and in his death, we also have died. We have died to the elemental spirits of the world. We have died to the domain of darkness. We've died to the human philosophies and traditions that seek to, to force us to submit to their regulations of handle not, taste not, touch not, with all the asceticism and worship of angels and all those other things. You have set us free. You've given us life when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. You've set us free. You've made us one of your own. You've brought us with Jesus. Forgive us because we don't often seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at your right hand. We often seek much lesser things. Forgive us for acting like the ten spies. Help us to act more like Caleb. Lord, help us this week, starting right now, today, to seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at your right hand, to set our minds on them. 
Because our life is hidden with Christ and God. In Jesus' name, amen.